Hi, my name is Alicia, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for us this morning. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Thank you. You may be seated. Thanks, Alicia. Good morning, everybody. I'm Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's an exciting day. We begin our journey through the book of Romans today. Um, and if you haven't read the book of Romans, it might, it's what many consider to be uh, maybe the most important Christian theological document ever written. And, uh, but as I've thought about it and, you know, prayed about it, uh, I, I'm praying that as, as we go through this, and we're going to be going through the book of Romans basically all year. And we're going to take breaks, um, but it's, it's going to be a significant journey. We're going to do the first part here in the fall, and then uh, the second part in the spring. We'll take breaks in between, but I'm really excited about it because um, really when we're in the book of Romans, uh, we're asking one of the most significant questions, maybe the most significant question that you can ask, which is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a Christian? And in the first part of the book, we're going to explore, um, you know, some theological themes, how the story of God plays out uh, throughout time and, and, and history and who the person of Jesus is and what he said and, and what are the ramifications of that. And then the second part, we're going to explore what are the implications of individually being Christians as a Christian community? What does it mean to be a Christian community in our day and in our age? But we're starting simply with one verse today. And as we start uh, this journey, I just want us to sit with this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to you to be a Christian? And, and I'm just going to throw out some ideas of what maybe that, that could mean. And maybe some of these will resonate with, you know, for some people, I think uh, if we said, you know, being Christian means it's, a, it's a, a cultural, traditional title that you've inherited from a previous generation. You know, you, you come from a long line of Christians. That was the identity of your grandparents and your parents. And you grew up in a home where we, we called ourselves Christians. And, and I think when we think of Christianity that way, uh, what that really means is that we avoid certain behaviors, and we occasionally attend church. And that's what it means uh, to be a Christian. Or for some of us, especially in the United States, especially in this part of the United States, to be a Christian is, is a political statement, and it's a quest to defend moral values in the public square or to withdraw from the public square to preserve our moral values. For others of us, to be a Christian means that maybe it, that's, we're referring to a past religious experience that we had, you know, that in high school or in college or in some other season of our life, we, we had some kind of encounter with God and, and we began a journey as a Christian, but maybe since then it, it, it hasn't had real import in our life. And so we talk about being a Christian, we're really talking about this moment in time in a past religious experience. For other, others of us to be a Christian is just a general belief in Jesus, you know, that um, despite the, the trend that our society is taking towards really post-Christendom, where most people would not identify as a Christian, it's still very much at the center of, of our larger culture. And so it's acceptable to have a general belief in Jesus, even if we're not following him in our life. 
And finally, I think for some of us, to be a Christian just is simply a reference that we have a desire to be a good person. And in our culture, in our society, that's just a framework that is understood. I'm, I'm a Christian and I don't really know what that means, but I, I have a desire to be a good person. I don't know where you are in your journey uh, with Christianity, which is really a journey with, with Jesus. But I think for all of us, as we study the book of Romans this year, it's gonna challenge us. It should challenge us. It should challenge us individually, and then it should challenge us corporately um, to, to really examine is, is, the, is the Jesus and the Christianity that Paul's talking about aligned with the Jesus and the Christianity of our lives individually and together? Well, before we jump into the text this morning, uh, I, I want to tell you a story about a man named Sanctus. And, and Sanctus was a deacon from Vienna. Uh, he lived in the middle of the second century uh, in the Roman Empire. At that time, there was an emperor named Marcus Aurelius, if you've seen the movie Gladiator. Um, this, is, this is sort of the time period that we're, we're looking at, um, you know, without Russell Crowe. Um, but, you know, in this time period, it was a rough time to be a Christian. Christianity is actually illegal. Um, it's considered a fringe movement that wasn't acceptable. Uh, it was considered to be a movement that was dangerous to power. Um, and so it was, it was oppressed. And, and so Christians were, were gathered up. They were uh, interrogated. They were tortured. And they were killed frequently. And so uh, Sanctus, and we know this from the writings of a guy named Eusebius, who's a church historian, uh, who, who's writing about this time in, in uh, the world and in church history. We know that uh, he's a young man, and he's a deacon, and uh, he's arrested because he's a Christian. And when he's arrested, uh, he's tortured. And let me just name some of the torture that he went through. He was run through a, a gauntlet he was subjected to wild beast in the amphitheater who ripped his flesh apart. And if that wasn't enough, he was put in an iron chair that was uh, superheated. He was strapped to it and his flesh was burned from his, his bones. And as he went through this severe torture, his, uh, the, the, the Roman officers that had arrested him uh, kept asking him the same question again and again. And the question was simply, who are you? Who are you? And again and again and again as he was subjected to the beast, as, as he was strapped to the chair, as he was whipped nearly to death, his reply was simply, I am a Christian. Who are you? I am a Christian. And he refused to answer with any other Answer and, and one historian was writing about this period of church history and, and about the history of the early martyrs, those like Sanctus who gave their life uh, for, for their faith in Jesus. He said this, he said, they would reply to all questionings about them with the short but comprehensive answer, I am a Christian. Again and again, they caused no little perplexity to their judges by the pernacity which they adhered to this brief profession of faith. The question was repeated, who are you? And they replied, I've already said that I am a Christian. And he who says that has thereby named his country, his family, his profession, and all things else besides. You see, following Jesus was the sum of their entire existence. 
just want us to sit with that for a second, because when I read that, it was incredibly challenging to me. And, and I began to think about, you know, what, what would I answer if I was to be arrested and, and, and tortured and, and my life threatened and, and again and again under fatigue and abuse and threat of death, the question, who are you? What would I answer? And, and it's not just that I'd be tempted to renounce Christ. I, I hope that I wouldn't, but, you know, I think I would add things to that. I, I think I'd say, I'd try to soften the blow. Well, well, I'm Gabe and, you know, I'm, I'm the husband of Janet and I'm the father of Madeline. So please don't take my life. I would say, you know, I've done good in the world. I'm a, I'm a pastor and I, I've, I've given my life for the sake of other people and I'm doing good things and I'm not a bad guy. And besides that, don't you know that I'm an American citizen? Don't you know that I'm a veteran in the military? I would add all of these things to that question. But not Sanctus and not the martyrs of the early church, you see. For them, there was one answer that answered in totality about their identity. I am a Christian. And you see, this is what happens when someone really has embraced the idea that Jesus is king at the core of their being, is that they get a new identity. And this is what we're gonna talk about as we march through the book of Romans together. This idea that Jesus is the king, full stop. And, and Romans is an invitation for us to ask this question week after week after week, who am I? And what does it mean to me? And what does it mean to us to be a Christian community? And we'll see that the reason that Sanctus and other martyrs and those who have gone before us in the faith and who have heroically answered that question with great integrity, the only reason that they were able to do that is because God's plan, and it's a crazy plan, is that God always delivers a person to deliver his message to a people. And, and what we're going to see is that the reason the faith is passed on and on and on and on is because God keeps delivering people. He keeps saving people. He keeps helping people understand your real identity is in the Lord. This is who you really are. And that through the ages, people have believed that with such conviction and such fervor that they rejected all other aspects of identity. And then they understood that it was their mandate to, to take this message of God, the most important message of the world, into the spaces of their relational world. And we're gonna look at that together and that nothing has changed. And so the mission of Sanctus, and we're gonna see in a minute, the mission of, of the Apostle Paul is the same mission for you and for me and for our church because God's plan hasn't changed, that God always delivers a person to deliver his message to a people, and he's still doing it today. And so as we begin Romans, I just, I want us to follow this framework this morning, and, and I want us to look at the person of Paul. Who was Paul? This first deliverer of, of this great message of, of Jesus, who was he? What was the message that he was delivering? We're gonna to touch on that in a minute, uh, just briefly today and then more in the weeks to come. And then finally, who are the people that he was taking this message to? But I want us to keep in the background as we're 
reading through this together that this just isn't ancient history that we're going to talk a lot about Paul and his context in the Mediterranean world in the first century. And in many ways, it's very different from our culture and in some ways, very much the same. And as we talk about that and we talk about theology of what is the gospel and we talk about the people he's delivering this message to, the Romans, I just don't want us to forget that as we're reading it, though, it's a message to us, it's a mandate to us, it's a challenge to us that our core identity would be that Jesus is the king and that above all else, we are Christians and this is God's plan and this is his purpose for you and for me. Uh, I wanna challenge you that uh, if, you, if you don't have a paper copy of the scriptures as we're studying Romans, this is a moment to get one. We're gonna have some, I think next week or maybe the week following um, here if, if you know, you're unable to get a copy. I recommend that, that you know, we're going through the New Living Translation. I recommend getting a study Bible if you can. Um, we're gonna have some of those here uh, in the weeks to follow, but if you can get one, you can go on Amazon and get New Living Translation Study Bible. But the reason is, is because I think in our world of technology, Right? We can get the scriptures on a lot of things. We can get it on our phone, our iPad, and our computer, and all that. But for me, anyway, there's something about slowing down and taking a paper copy of the scriptures. And, and, and I want to challenge you to write in it. <laughs> write notes and highlight, right? Engage with it. Sit with it. Sit without the distractions. Because, you know, I'm hoping what we're doing on Sunday mornings is just like, it's just an introduction and, and that what really happens is that you get excited about God's word and you get excited about some of the things we're talking about. And, you know, I just don't have time in 20 or 30 minutes to unpack all the goodness that's in here, but you can do that. And I want to help you do that. And we're going to reference that. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to preach and teach, but I also want to just like be a guide to show you like, Hey, you can do this too. And, and that's, that's the way that we're transformed. You know, not in 20 minutes a week, but, you know, day after day after day as we're compelled to sit with the Lord in his word. So I just want to challenge you um, to that today. Please talk to me if you have questions about that or I can help you in any way. So let's jump in to this text. And we're just doing one verse today um, as an introduction to this book of Romans. And I want to start with the person of Paul because that's the way the text starts. This letter is from Paul, which begs the question, who is Paul? Who is Paul? What do we need to know about Paul? Well, he gives us a couple of things right off the bat. He tells us first that he's a slave of Christ Jesus. So uh, right out of the gate, provocative statement, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word, um, if, if you don't, um, if you never heard this before, you know, the, uh, the Bible was not originally written in English, I know, hard to believe. Um, it was actually written in primarily two languages. There was the Hebrew uh, text. So most of the Old Testament was written in the, uh, the ancient Hebrew language. And most of the New Testament was written um, in a form of, of Greek because Greek was, was sort of the written academic language of the day um, during the first century in the time of, of Jesus. And so... Um, what happens is we're translating that, that Hebrew and that Greek into our English language. And, and sometimes other languages have more nuanced meanings than our English language has. And so 
um, it's important at times to look back at particular words. And so this is one of those times where this word that we're translating here, slave, is a word called doulos. And, and throughout the history of translating the Bible at various times, uh, people have translated this word servant. And maybe that's what you've heard bef- this passage read before, a servant of, of Christ. And, and, and in one sense, it's true that Paul was a servant, but I think the more accurate study reveals that the best understanding of this word in this context is slave. And that's really hard for us to hear because it's a provocative and a painful word for many of us. But, but here's what I want you to understand, that slavery was pervasive in the first century and that Paul is not condoning slavery and the practice of, of one human being enslaving another. In fact, uh, and we'll talk about this as we get into the book of Romans, but the, the good news of God and, and what's revealed about God and about his purposes and about humanity undoes slavery in the world, right? It, it reveals that slavery is an evil institution, but it was common practice in Paul's world. And so he uses this word and he redefines it in the context of a new relationship with God through Jesus. And I think he means it to be provocative because the difference, there's a difference between a servant and a slave. What is it? Well, a servant is a hired person who's hired but still has freedom to choose. Like I hire you as my servant to do a job. It's a transaction. I give you some money and you do some things for me, but really you're still free. I mean, you can quit. You can walk away. And that doesn't accurately describe what the scriptures tell us about our right relationship with God. Instead, we're told that through Christ, he has set us free from the slavery of what? Of sin. That we're freed from sin, right? But not so that we just can be free agents and do whatever we want in the world, but so that we can be slaves to Christ, And we're going to talk about why that's a beautiful and a good thing because God is a good and benevolent God whose nature is defined by love. But it's a provocative way of thinking about our relationship with God that like when we call Jesus Lord, that he is the king. And what that means is that we're in total submission to him. And so I want to explore this just a little bit through this lens of slavery in the first century and just talk about a few elements of what that meant in the first century because Paul's writing this to an audience. He's writing this to a people who would have understood this word in a certain way and how did they understand it when Paul said to them in their context, and by the way, he's talking to marginalized people. We'll get to this when we talk about the Romans, but he's talking to poor people. He's talking to oppressed people. That's primarily his, his, his audience and so this word would have, caught their attention. What does it mean to be a slave? Well, first thing is it's exclusive ownership, exclusive ownership. And so when Paul's saying he's a slave to Christ Jesus, he's saying, I'm exclusively owned by King Jesus. There's no one else who has greater authority than he does in my life. And so that's true for us too. Secondly, slavery meant complete submission. That if I'm Following Jesus, Paul's saying, I completely submit everything to him in my life. 
And when we stop and we think about our orientation to the Lord and to our faith and back to that question, who am I and what does it mean to be a Christian? I don't know about you, but this is really challenging because I really struggle to be completely submitted to anyone because I want it my way right away all day. And I think we can resonate with that idea, but Paul right out of the gate in these first phrases is challenging us. No, if you're a Christian, it's complete, it means completely submitting to the will of the king, full stop, regardless of the consequences. Thirdly, it, it means singular devotion, that my devotion is not divided, that it's focused on, on one person, King Jesus. I'm devoted to him and to him alone. And, and, and that means that all, all my other things that I could be devoted to have to always come second. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And we'll talk about this extensively as we go through this book, but there's all kinds of things that we submit to and give our devotion to, right? We give our devotion to things like our family, good things, right? We give our devotion to our country. We give our devotion to our ethnicity. We give our devotion to our vocation. And, and what Paul is saying very succinctly right in the beginning here is that, but if I'm a follower of Jesus, all of those devotions pale in comparison to my devotion to the King Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Fourthly, it's total dependence that I totally depend on him. If he's the king, if he's the owner of all the resources, if he's the one who's numbered my days and sees my life from beginning to end, if he's the one who appoints the powers and the principalities in heaven and on, on earth in place, then I can totally depend on him and I must totally depend on him for my every need. And lastly, that there's personal accountability and that word, we just buck against it, don't we? I don't wanna be accountable. But yet that's what it means to be a slave is that I'm accountable to one I'm devoted to, to one I depend on, to one I submit to. It's a radical teaching. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, devoted to no other. Secondly, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle chosen by God to be an apostle. Uh, what does it mean to be an apostle? The word literally in the original language means to be the, a sent out one, one sent out. And it's traditionally understood that in the New Testament, when we're talking about apostles, we're talking about uh, the people that uh, first saw Jesus when he was resurrected and then were commissioned that were called by Jesus to go and be his representatives in the world because they had seen firsthand the most powerful event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus. I, I love what, the way one writer put it. He said, an apostle is simply this, it's an ambassador of the king, an ambassador of the king. And so if we understand that Jesus is king, that's what it means to be a Christian. Paul understands himself that he's been chosen by God to be his representative, to be his ambassador, to carry his word out. And so if, we, if you don't know the story of Paul, I'll tell it to you briefly. He was, it's an unlikely story. Uh, you'll see in the scriptures, one of the things I love about the stories that God writes and the things that he does with people is he doesn't choose the likely people that we would choose to do his work. 
that Paul was actually an enemy of Jesus, that during Jesus's earthly ministry, Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had studied the law and he was a very religious person and he was an angry person. And we're told that he was even at the stoning of Stephen, who was a devoted follower of Jesus, who was killed publicly for his devotion to Jesus. And if you can imagine this same Paul who's writing this letter, reminding us that Jesus is king, was standing, holding the cloaks of those who were throwing stones at Stephen, killing him, murdering him in a bloody way. And that was the story of Paul, that Paul was persecuting out to destroy everything Jesus was about. But then one day we're told he was on a road and he was on a journey to a city called Damascus. And we're told that the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul on that road in a bright light and he was blinded. And the voice of Jesus convicted him and asked him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul was changed. And he was changed so much so that the man that he had been an enemy of, he's now saying, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And we're told that he spent 10 years in Tarsus where he was from and that he was discipled and that he understood what it meant to be a Christian. And then he went out and was the most prolific missionary in the history of the church. He went on three missionary journeys with his friend Barnabas and he oversaw the planning of churches throughout the Gentile world, which was the part of the world that was on the frontiers of, of the known world at that time. And that Paul was a fervent disciple of Jesus who gave his life to expanding this message of the gospel of the good news. So this is Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be his ambassador in the world. We're told that... Um, he was sent out to preach his good news. And, and the book of Romans has a particular history to it. It's quite interesting. When Paul's writing this letter, he's writing to a group of people he's actually uh, never been with in Rome, in Rome. He actually hasn't been to Rome at this point. He's writing this letter while he's in Corinth, another city. And he's with uh, two new friends, Priscilla and Aquila, who were exiles from Rome. They were kicked out by the, by the uh, emperor at the time and they were sent out of Rome because they were proclaiming Jesus. And so they meet Paul in the city of Corinth and they're telling him about the believers in Rome. And Paul starts to get really excited about what he's hearing because what he sees is that Rome is the center of the known world at that time, the most powerful place uh, on earth at that point. And he's hearing, but there's followers of Jesus in the city. And the interesting thing is the followers of Jesus aren't just Jews from Jerusalem. They're, they're actually people from all over the world, from all kinds of different backgrounds. And so Paul sees this opportunity that Rome could be this amazing point, this jumping off point to begin to expand uh, the story of Jesus in the world. And you see, this is God's plan that God sends out his people and then broadens our circles of influence so that his kingdom and his message would go out into the, to the world. And so that's the work that's happening um, with Paul. And the second question we say, well, here's Paul, but what's his message? What is this message that 
he sent out to proclaim. And put simply, the message is the gospel, the gospel. But that's a very churchy word. And I don't know for you, you know, what that means, but I just, I want to talk briefly about what the gospel is, but we're going to talk a lot more about what the gospel is in the weeks to follow, especially next week. Um, And it's really important that every follower of Jesus be able to articulate what the good news is. That's what the gospel means. It literally translated means good news. So what is this good news? We ought to all be able to give an account, an elevator speech. If somebody asks you tomorrow, what is the good news? We should be able to answer. Um, Not say, well, you know, I can put you in touch with my pastor. I think he could tell you. Or or I watched a good YouTube series, and uh, I'm going to send you a link. You see, that's not God's plan. God wants to send people to send his good news in face-to-face conversations with other people. And, And those people in the city of Charlotte, guess what? It's you. It's you. Well, what is this good news? We're going to start to, I think, grow confidence in our understanding of what the good news is. And that's one of my hopes for each of us and for our church as we go through this series in Romans. That By the end of this, I want every single one of you to be confident that you know what the good news is. And I'm praying that some who are sitting here today and in the next service and some who will come during uh, our series who aren't yet part of our community, who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, will start following Jesus as we go through this. I think this could be a radically important moment in the history of New City Matthews. As we begin to understand together what is the good news and we begin to respond to that appropriately, powerful things can happen in your life and in the world. Well, what is this good news? What's centered on one truth? And we're gonna keep coming back to this idea that centered on one truth that Jesus is king. Today, if you don't remember anything else about what is the good news, this is the good news. Jesus is king. Well, what does it mean to be Jesus as king? Well, then we get into the story of how Jesus became king. And so when we talk about, I think story resonates. I don't know about you. If I'm sitting with a person at a picnic table or at an office building or in a neighborhood, you know, what, you, what I don't want to do is go through a list of theological propositions. And, and, and let me just like talk through theology with you. You know, when we connect with people, right, we need to connect through the lens of story because people connect with story. What is the story of how Jesus became king? I need to know this is the good news Firstly, the beginning of the story that Jesus pre-existed creation with the Father, that we're told in John 1 that Jesus was there at the creation. That's the beginning of the story, that he became flesh and that he fulfilled all the promises that God made to people throughout all of history, that he entered into our world when he became flesh and he died for our sins that when he died, he was actually buried. And this is an important part of the story. He was dead, dead. He was in the ground. But on the third day, he was raised again and that he appeared to many as proof that he was risen from the dead, the most important event in human history. And get this, sometimes in the evangelical church in in the United States, we stop here with the good news. Right? We stop here that Jesus died for your sins, and then he, but he was raised from the dead, and then you just need to believe in him, and that's the good news. But that's not the full good news. 
Because remember, what we're saying the good news is, is Jesus is the king. That when he was raised and he appeared to many, that he is seated at God's right hand as the Lord, and that's true today. And we're gonna celebrate that as we celebrate the table here in a few moments. But then lastly, that he will come again as judge, which has great implications for the world and for our life. This is the good news, and our response to the good news is simply Jesus is king, which is why when we baptize people, that's our profession of faith. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king is our profession. Lastly, and we'll get way into this in the weeks to come, uh, it's Paul, who's a slave of Jesus and an apostle, gives this good news, Jesus is king, but he gives it to a particular people. Those people were the Romans, who were the most powerful people on the face of the earth at this time. And he's writing into the epicenter of power, and this power is military power, financial power, social power. But within that construct of power, there was many different ethnic groups who sought to preserve their social identity by resisting cultural conformity. Let me say that again. There were many different ethnic groups who sought to preserve their social identity by resisting cultural conformity. And I think in that, we can deeply resonate with the Roman culture at that time. Doesn't that sound familiar? People seeking identity in stories that are too small for humans. We'll see that in Rome, the geography of the city divides the rich from the poor. There's seven hills. The imperial palace is on the seven hills. This is where the rich people live. By the way, in Rome today, that's still where the rich people live. And then down in the valleys by the river is where the poor people live. And as we read this letter together, I want us to remember that where this letter would have first been read was, would have been in the homes of the poor in the river districts would have been the first places this gospel would have been proclaimed. But eventually, the beauty of the Roman church is that it becomes a, a, a diverse community of rich and poor and Jew and Gentile and people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds. And we see that this is the problems that Paul is addressing with the Roman church in the second half of the book are problems that we still face today as we seek to be also a community that reflects the kingdom of God in diversity and ethnicity and rich and in poor in our church as well. And it's not easy because the whole world is against such a thing. But we go back to our confession, Jesus is king and that supersedes all of our identities. And so it brings us together as it did the Roman church into this diverse community through which Jesus speaks into the world. I just want us to end with this idea that if you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, then what that means is that you have proclaimed Jesus is Lord. And so therefore God has delivered you. He has rescued you in the greatest rescue mission of all time. He has pulled you out of sin. And he said, your primary identity is as a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the king. And if God has delivered you, then he's also made you to deliver this good news. And he's made you to deliver it to people in your relational world. To Christ be the glory, amen. Let's pray as we head to the table this morning. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your word. 
given to us through your servant, Paul, your slave, the apostle, the one who eventually was tortured and imprisoned and killed along with thousands of others through the ages for proclaiming that great, powerful truth that you were the king. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as we journey together through this text to just don't leave us the same, Lord, change us. Lord, quicken our hearts that we may cast aside all other identity and that we may run with the same fervor that we see of our brothers and our sisters in the faith in years past, that we may run with that fervor to share this good news with people in our world today, that many would come to know you and that Lord, you would bring about transformation in our lives and in our community as we wait for you to come once again. In Christ's name we pray, amen.